Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here. So I'm going to give away a little one of my secrets. That is probably too tall for me, that little table. But the reason that I want the podium is because when I preach, I am so nervous that my knees don't stand still. And this is a perfect camouflage. It doesn't happen as strong as it used to. When I first preached, I could hear my knees knocking together. That doesn't happen anymore. And you know, within a couple of minutes of starting to talk, the nervousness leaves. And that nervousness, you know what that's caused by? It's caused by fear. Fear of not being perfect. Isn't that something what that fear can do to us? There's such a need uh, in the carnal world for perfection. And that's why it's so important for us to know who our father is, because he is the one that supplies the perfection. So it just means that he's not done with me yet. And there's a couple of more things <laughs> left to work out in my heart. <clears throat> the message uh, today is resting in knowing who God is. And I have found through my life that unless you know, and I mean, you got to know how good he is. You can't rest in him. And so things come up in our lives and we think that we know how good he is. But then we can find ourselves saying, where is God? Where are you, God? Why is this happening? What does this mean? And God comes and shows us again and again and again. He reminds us of who he is so we can go back to rest. So let's just pray. Father, I just thank you that uh, this message is all about what you do, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will continue to do. And that's to reveal yourself to each one of us in the way that we personally need it so we can know that you are trustable, so that we can be settled and rest, even when everything in the world is crashing down around us. We can sit at your feet, climb up in your lap, put our head on your bosom, and find perfect peace. I thank you, Father, that's what you have for us, and I thank you that our hearts are open to receive it. Amen. So, as you can tell, I'm not here to tell you something that you don't already know, but I'm here to remind you, because we all need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of what God has already established us in because things do come at us left and right from beneath, from above that try to get us thinking about anything else but the goodness of God. So one of the main ministries of Jesus is that he came to show us the Father. How important was that message? Think about it before Jesus came. Did the people really know him? No, not really. They could have known him, but they didn't know him. We know Adam had problems because when Adam found himself naked in the garden, did he run to God for help? No. Why not? Why didn't he run to God for help? Hadn't God already expressed his goodness to Adam and Eve in the garden? Yes. Did he give them everything that they needed? Yes. Did he adore them? Did he get down on one knee in adoration? He had given them everything, and yet some little, I want to say little, I want to diminish it, some little lie from a talking snake got them off. You just got to get off a little bit. Surely you won't die. God didn't really say that, did he? <clears throat> and so it put doubt in Eve's heart. So all it takes is a little bit of doubt, and it begins to happen. So when Jesus began his ministry, he wanted people to know who his father was. He wanted us to know that because guess what? God wasn't just his father. Jesus wasn't just coming to say, oh, God's my father. No, his message is, God is your father also. I want you to know that what I have with the father, it's for you to have also. <clears throat> so in John 15, 
verses 1 and 2. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. So Jesus introduces himself as the true vine. And then he introduces the father as the husbandman. And so Jesus wants us to know our daddy. That's who the father is, our daddy. He also gives a revelation here so deep. He's going to tell us who the father is. But it also in that statement says what the father does, what the father is responsible for. So he's painting a picture for us so we can understand what Jesus's place is and the father's place is. That word husbandman, it means it's a picture of a farmer. And it also means to toil and to labor and to work. Our father is the one that is responsible. He is the farmer and Jesus is the vine. And we're going to find out shortly who we are because we need to know that also. In John 6, verse 46, it says, Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. So Jesus was the only one that really, really knew who the Father was. And then John 1:18, it says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So we needed somebody that could declare the Father to us because we, nobody had seen him. Nobody knew for sure who he was. But then in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it tells us a lot. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God. So Jesus has been with God all this time since the beginning. And the Word was God. Oh, now we're getting really deep. Jesus is God. And the same was in the beginning with God. So here we see we have a human being on this earth, Jesus, that not only has seen God, he's seen him from the beginning and he is God. That's a mystery and our carnal minds can kind of go tilt a little bit. But by revelation, God shows us that that's true, and he puts that truth deep in our hearts. So nobody better than Jesus could show us the Father. He was there in the beginning. He was with God, and he was God. So what was the problem? Let's find out what that problem was. John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness didn't comprehend it. Why was there darkness? Why couldn't the darkness comprehend the light? The image of God had been marred in the Garden of Eden. And when that happened, death and sin were released into the world. The world and all of mankind were living in a fallen state. They couldn't see clearly. There was a dimness. You know how when it gets to be dusk, you can't see as clear? I love that song. <laughs> One of the songs that we played this morning, um, that we need to be able to see clearly. When that spirit of fear tries to come on us, that's what it tries to do. It tries to take away our ability to see God clearly. Because when you see God clearly, fear begins to drain away. Because fear next to him is nothing. It's nothing. So mankind had hidden from God as Adam did, shrinking away from him when they felt shame and guilt and fear. God knew we couldn't draw close to him unless we could trust him. And he knew we couldn't trust him unless we really knew who he was. You can want to trust God all you want. In your heart, if you don't trust him, you're not going to trust him. 
it doesn't matter how bad you want to. It says that we live out of our heart. And so what's in the heart is going to guide what we believe and how we act and what we can act upon. So God sent Jesus. He sent himself, didn't he? God sent himself to represent himself and to show all of mankind who he was. There are scriptures all over throughout the Bible that describe Jesus as God. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. God didn't hide who he was from us. He openly shared it so all could see. So God sent himself in human flesh to take on our humanity, our sin, our death, the darkness that we were in. He experienced every temptation that mankind would ever have. He beat death to a pulp. And then he rose out of the grave in victory, clothed in immortality and the glory of God, divorcing us from the serpent system so we could be married to God and his light. God was freeing us from the darkness that we were in so we could comprehend the light, so we could comprehend on a deeper level who he is. And what does that mean? Who he is means how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how much he's with you, how much he's thinking about you every minute of every day. All those things minister to us and they tell us who he is. So let's go back to John 15 and the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Oh, now there's another part of the picture. He's the vine. He's already told us that God the Father is the husbandman, but we are the branches. And he says, he that abides in me is connected to me and I in him. The same brings forth much fruit. Does it say we would make the fruit? No. All we're going to do is have the fruit be made on us. And he says, for without me, you can do nothing. So now we get a nice, clear picture where God is, where Jesus is, and where we are. Our father is the farmer. He's the one that's going to be doing the work and the toiling. Jesus is the vine. And our place is a place of rest. A place of rest. But if you don't really believe that that farmer is going to come and take care of you and your, your branch and your plant and your vine, you're going to start trying to do something about it. You're going to start trying to produce the fruit yourself. That's why it first has to start with us trusting that he's going to do what he said he would do. Jesus said when we were burdened or heavy laden to go to him, and he would give us another basket of burden, right? No. He said he would give us rest. What an amazing exchange. We go to him, we dump all our burdens and our problems, the things we're worried about, and he's going to give us rest. How is he going to do that? He's going to assure us that he's our daddy and he's got whatever it is that's troubling us. He brings comfort to us in that place where we were worried so we can be at peace and rest. John 15, 2. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. I used to misinterpret this scripture, and I've just tried to stay away from it as much as I could because it brought me so much torment. Because, you know, we're not supposed to, but I did. I looked at my branch, and I looked at how much fruit was there, and quite frankly, I was often worried because I didn't see what I thought should be there. So I was always afraid that, the father would come and look at me and go, you have no fruit or not enough fruit, so I'm going to just whack you off. And what does it say? Take it away. But then I found out what that means. 
it's so important that we not just rely on our preconceived ideas about word mean, what word means. I mean, take away, right? We all know what that means. No, not in this sense we don't. And so it's so important to let God come and show us and reveal to us what those words really mean. Take away there means to lift or to take up, to raise, to bear up, to carry, to loose, bring forth, ease, hold up, marry, magnify, honorable, exalt, forgive, and help. So here we have a picture of a branch that maybe is hanging low. Something has come at it, and the branch is struggling. Our daddy's going to come and lift it up. He's going to raise it up. He knows exactly what the problem is, and he knows exactly what the branch and us, what we need. And so he's going to come and give it to us. Do we have to do anything to earn it? Absolutely not. We don't have to do anything to earn it. He's the farmer. He's the one that comes to do this. This is his pleasure, what he likes to do. But back then, I didn't know the Father as my provider. I knew he provided me with salvation. But I believe back then that after salvation, then it's up to us. You know, he wiped the slate clean, and then I could just go forward. But from going forward on, it was up to me to keep the slate clean. And guess what? I couldn't. I couldn't sleep, keep the slate clean. So I often thought that God was getting ready to take a whack to my branch. But that was the furthest thing from the truth. How can we miss it, you all? There he was, lifting me up, carrying me, bringing ease, healing me. And I saw... He was coming to whack at me. It's because I didn't comprehend. Why did I not comprehend? Because I wasn't walking in the light of the truth of who God was. It is so important that we be hearing, I think daily, how good our Father is, whether it's from a message or reading the Bible or a song. There's so many ways today that we can be fed with how good our Daddy is. I, yeah, I didn't know my daddy was the fruit producer. I thought he was a hard taskmaster, always wanting more for me and never being satisfied. And I thought that he always wanted more than what I could give. Because I was one of those people, I worked really hard at it. And I thought I accomplished a lot. But you know, our own works can never accomplish it all. It's not meant for us to accomplish. And so however hard you work at it, that's how much you're going to fail because you weren't supposed to do it in the first place. And then the second part of that scripture says that, and when the branches are bearing fruit, he purges them, which is a way it means cleansing, that they can bring forth more fruit. So we're not limited to just some fruit. We can get more fruit and more fruit and more fruit. How does that happen? By finding out how much more God is good than you knew the day before. The fruit just grows effortlessly when you know how good he is. So I see a farmer. My, the farmer is my daddy. And I see him caring for me and all the branches, helping them. He's toiling so we can rest. He's taking care of us so that we bear his fruit, not our fruit. So instead of a picture of being whacked away and cut off, now I have a picture of being strengthened by God. But you know what? The pictures that I had, they were both of God. But one was created in the dark. And it was created through doubting God and his goodness. The other was created when I found out how good God is. And that still continues today. 
Now this cleansing process, you can get a really bad picture of that too. Except that in John 15, Jesus said that we're clean by the word that he's spoken. Who does the speaking? He does. Who has the word? He does. What do we do? We hear it. We just hear it. And as we hear it, it comes into us and it performs that which God wants to happen. So amazing the plan God has for us. So we're his workmanship, the Father's workmanship. We can relax and just enjoy that relationship. All this time while the Father's working, what is the branch doing? Oh, I know sometimes it's hard. We start dancing around on that vine and we want to do stuff. <laughs> but we don't have to. And actually, we found out that as we try to, it just kind of messes things up more. So our Father's producing the fruit. We're being cared for and taken care of. And we're resting. What a nice deal God gave to us. John 15, 4 says, and Jesus said this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you accept, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. See how he wants to get that straight again and again and again? This is me, this is you. This is what I do, this is what you do. Why do we need to hear it so often? That's a clue. Because we do. We need to hear it over and over again. We can get confused very easily about what our part is. Because the carnal mind does want to do stuff. It wants to do, do, do. It wants to accomplish. It wants to analyze. Oh my gosh, it wants to analyze. It wants to figure out what's going on. So why? It can fix it. The carnal mind cannot fix it. If it could, God would let us. But he created us. He created us to not be the fixer. He is the fixer. He says, he that abides in me and I in him will bring forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So why don't we just give up and quit trying until the temptation comes again to try again. And then we give up again. And we just say, God, it's yours to do, not mine. This abiding means to stay, to continue, to remain. And what happens as we're abiding in him? God is going in our hearts. He's healing our hearts, bringing us to a place of peace with his life, his truth. And that produces the fruit in us. It's so important that we understand who our Father is and what He wants to do. Otherwise, we can easily get the cart before the horse and make ourselves the workers. And isn't that what a lot of us experienced in the church? You went into the church, you heard what God wanted you to do, and you began to do it. And you brought all of your effort-filled gifts to Him. Man, how did we get everything Fast backwards. How did that happen? Because we didn't comprehend the goodness of our Father. And because men didn't comprehend the goodness of their Father, they couldn't teach others. They had to teach what they knew, which said, you got to do, 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 do. Or God's not pleased with you. When God had set up the exact opposite situation for us, that word workmanship, it means to make or do, abide, agree, band together, execute, exercise, fulfill, lighten the ship, ordain, perform, provide, and raise up. Those are all the things that God does for us as we just sit at his feet and rest. It also comes from a primary verb that means to practice. That is to perform repeatedly and habitually as opposed to a one-time event. So God isn't just saying, well, I got you saved. Now it's up to you to do the rest of it, buddy. No, he's saying you are my workmanship. 
what I began in you, I am faithful. I will finish that work. I will continue to do it repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Jesus wanted us to know, and God the Father wanted us to know, that it's him that produces the fruit. It's God the Father's work. In Philippians 1.6, it says, I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work, now that's really important, you got to know what God's doing in you is a good work. Sometimes we don't believe that unless I'm all by myself. Sometimes I don't see it as a good work because I don't understand. And sometimes I still see things not clearly. And because what God does doesn't look like what I think it should like look like, I can get confused and think it's not a good work. God's got everything covered in the scriptures. It is a good work or he wouldn't have said it's a good work. So he begins this good work in you, and then he continues until he's had enough of you. No. Until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return. Oh, my gosh, what a promise that is for us. This good work that God is beginning, he is going to continue it and continue it, developing it, developing it and perfecting it and bringing it to full completion. That good work, it's going to be fully completed. And he isn't afraid to remind us again and again and again. He knows that we can forget the truth in the heat of this fallen world. And we need to be reminded sometimes of the very things that we know. Not only did he tell us what he was going to do, he wanted to make sure so we didn't misunderstand what our work was to do. And in John 6, when the people went to him, they said to him, what shall we do? <laughs> oh, isn't that something? What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. And how do we believe? We sit and we rest and we hear, and he tells us who he is. He reminds us of the things that he knows that we need to hear. So our work is just to believe on him. Do we hear just one time? No, we have to hear over and over again. What do we believe? You know, I believe for many, many, many years the wrong things. And so you have to be hearing the truth. You have to be hearing from the mouth of God. We have to be hearing what his faith is, what he believes, what he says. And we've been taught in this church how to line things up so that they agree. We've been taught that Jesus is a plumb line. His burial, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. Those things all have to fit with that and work together and be in agreement or something is wrong. And it's okay. We're going to find that a lot of the things that we've believed are wrong. We just go to God and say, God, straighten this out for me. Show me what it is that I'm missing. And he will. When we hear the faith of God, it comes to us. Even before I ever understood it, the first time I heard the truth of the gospel, how, <laughs> I'm still amazed. There's no way I could have believed it. I hated God when I woke up that morning. I mean, I hated him for, I believed a lot of lies, but I was thrown some really unfair things that made it easy to believe lies about God. And when I heard what Jesus had done for me on the cross, and when I heard how much he loved me, it came. <laughs> what was being said to me, it's like it bombarded my heart. And I knew it was true. That's right. It, faith, it comes. It comes to you. 
Why? Because you need it. <laughs> right? Because without it, you're on your own. <laughs> and so that faith came to me, and it did a work in me. Greg talked a little bit about it. I went from being really crazy, you know, I didn't know who I was all the time, to all of a sudden, I could see. The day before, everything was dark and dim, and I couldn't comprehend anything. And I didn't know what was going wrong. I, I mean, I was doing everything that I had done the year before, and it had worked. But you know what? You only can go so far in your own works. They're going to crumble, and they're going to fall. And that's what was happening. What was happening was a good thing. But I couldn't comprehend that because it didn't look right. What looks right is that everything is perfect in our life. So I didn't think God was at work. God was mightily at work, working in my circumstances, preparing things, getting everything in order, so that when I heard his faith, I was going to be able to receive it. And I did. I received his faith, and all of a sudden, I went from not knowing who I was to knowing who God was, and that he came and lived inside of me. And for the first time in my life, I just felt like all the darkness and heaviness and everything that told me that there was something wrong with me, it left. And I was just filled with how much God loved me. So that faith did its work. When Jesus told the people that their work was only to believe in him. That was a great, great revelation. A great revelation. Up until that time, they were performing sacrifices and had all these rituals, and they were doing everything to please God in their hearts, knowing that they weren't pleasing God. And now they're told they can just sit and rest and believe, and God's going to even do the believing part for them. He's going to bring his faith to them. And it's going to have an impact on them. Do you remember the first time you heard that faith came to do work in you? Wow, what a great relief. That it wasn't something that God had given me a little measure of <laughs> when I first found him in my life. And then I was the one that had to develop it and make it into a great thing. And then God comes and says, no, I'm going to do this for you. This also is my work. So last Sunday in uh, Bible study, we started talking about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit started showing me how he had revealed the Father to me. And that comes in stages, you know. I think it's as we can handle it, revelation upon revelation. So when Jesus first became my Lord and Savior, I was very quickly introduced into a segment of Christianity that was very excited about the Holy Spirit. And they had some truths about the Holy Spirit. But the problem was is that they only focused on one aspect of the Holy Spirit because that was the only one they knew. It was the only one that had been preached to them. And that was power, dunamis. The Holy Spirit had power. So I jumped right in, and I saw a lot of miraculous things happen. And there's nothing wrong with that. Praise God. He does have a lot of power. But I didn't know anything else about him. So I want to give you an example. A blue piece of wood. Now, I could tell you, my good friend painted this. And you go, hmm, well, she paints really good with blue, but you would not see the full picture. Well, my friend Cindy Jenkins painted this. And until I began seeing her art, I did not like abstract painting. Because why would somebody paint something that you don't even know what it is? <clears throat> it didn't fit in my perfection, you know, in the line. <laughs> Everything has to be just so. But she started 
came in these beautiful paintings and they were abstract and I started seeing so many things that I had not noticed before and it just opened up my mind and my heart to a, another whole way of looking at painting. So if all you did was look at this side of the painting, that's all you would have. But y'all are anticipating something good, aren't you? <laughs> you're expecting you're going to get to see another side of how Cindy paints and what that looks like. Now, this is one of the first things that she ever painted for me. You probably don't know it because you have to look really deeper in. But up at the top, where it looks like there's a storm brewing, she wrote the words, be still. Be still. Why can I be still? Only if I really know the Father. And so I was experiencing a lot of miracles in my life. And they were needed miracles, but they didn't give me the whole picture of the Father. So I'm going to share one of those experiences with you. I had quite a few miracles that happened to me in cars. Maybe I'm not a good driver. <laughs> Maybe there's another message there. I haven't gotten it yet. So this was a long time ago, though. <laughs> About 30 years ago, I was driving downtown. And I didn't like to go downtown in the business district because it's just too busy and people and cars are coming from every which way. I felt very uncomfortable. But I was in the far left lane, which was the turn lane to turn left. There were three lanes of traffic to the right of me and we were all stopped at the traffic lights. The light turned green and everybody moved forward. Suddenly I heard these brakes just screeching. It was such a horrible sound so close to me. And I thought, who is doing that? And I turned around to look and I realized it was my car that was making those noises. Somebody had stomped on my brakes. But guess what? It wasn't me. I was going with the other three lanes of traffic because I thought when their light turned green, mine did too. But guess what? Mine hadn't turned green. Mine was still red. And so in the shock of it all and just trying to gather myself to calm down, you know, that God had done this, I looked up and there was a man in the crosswalk. I'd hit him. I would have hit him. So miracles are amazing. My life would have changed drastically that day in his too, had God not done that. But because that was the only way that I saw God, in spite of that happening, I didn't trust him like I can today. And why is that? Because I didn't have a miracle that happened every day of my life. And that's what that segment of Christianity taught, that that was the proof that God loved you. And so when the miracles came, they were great. But when they weren't there, you doubted your whole relationship with God. And it actually, that wrong teaching actually planted doubt and fear and torment in my heart because I was always thinking God wasn't happy with me or else that or else this. God wanted to show me so many more things about who he was. I didn't know him as a comforter. I didn't know him as the one that was a provider. I didn't know that he was the one that produced the fruit for me. And right there last Sunday morning in the Bible study, the Holy Spirit started asking me, did you ever hear me tell you back then about the goodness of your father? Not one time. I had to say no. He said, did you ever pray once in all of those years to me as your father? Mm -mm. It wasn't until a few years ago that I started praying to my father. I prayed to Jesus and I prayed to the Holy Spirit. 
And it's really sad, but I know now that the reason I prayed to Jesus and the Holy Spirit was because I was expecting them to give me protection from God, my Father. Wow. But I wasn't aware of it until much later that that's what was going on in my heart. I saw God as a taskmaster, and he was hard to please, and I counted on Jesus and the Holy Spirit to put in a good word for me. <laughs> then I heard the Holy Spirit ask me, when did you start hearing and believing in the goodness of God as your father? It was after I started coming to this church. And what caused that? I started hearing that my father was good. Not only, we don't need to just hear that our father is good. That won't convince our hearts. It needs to be proven to us. We need to see it. We need to understand it. It says in John that they didn't comprehend the light. We need to comprehend the light. We need to comprehend the goodness of our father. And so God started showing me through the teaching how good he was. And guess what? I started praying daddy when I pray. That's how I pray all the time, daddy. But I didn't make myself do that. I didn't tell myself I needed to do that. It was a work that the father did in my heart as I found out how good he was towards me. So the power of the Holy Spirit told me that God was powerful. <laughs> it brought relief and sometimes protection to my life and to others, but it didn't draw me into that close, intimate relationship with my daddy because it never had the ability to show me his tender heart for me. So I couldn't get as close to him as God wanted, as I had been designed to experience. Jesus came. The Father sent Jesus to show me how good he was for me and to me so I could be drawn close to him and have that close relationship that he wants to have. The serpent had presented a marred image of God to man, and that needed to be corrected. Our blindness needed to be healed so we could see our Father and his heart for us. Then we could have the close relationship that the Father wanted to have with us. It says in John 10.30, and this is Jesus talking, I and my Father are one. Oh my gosh. How many times it's portrayed to us clearly that Jesus and the Father are the same. And so we can expect that what we see from Jesus is what we're going to see from the Father. But most of us grew up thinking there was, it was a schizophrenic relationship in there. And part of the Godhead was good and part of the Godhead wasn't. Part of the Godhead was sensitive and part of the Godhead wasn't. And that's just not true. That comes from living in the darkness that happens when you're not hearing the truth preached. John 10, 38, Jesus said, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. It's so important for us to know the relationship that Jesus had with his Father. Why is that? It's the relationship we're supposed to have with him. That closeness, that intimacy, that oneness. Jesus didn't come to say, this is what I have with my father. Ha, ha, ha. No, he comes to tell us, this is what I have for my father. And this is what you are supposed to have also. This is what you're supposed to be enjoying. This is what God, your daddy, did for you. So the importance of Jesus coming and revealing that relationship. It's everything for us because the darkness needs to be removed so that we can comprehend. I can remember the first time I heard, and it was in this church, <laughs> that God got down on one knee in adoration of Adam and Eve. And then, that was amazing in itself, but then 
I was being told, and that's how he feels about you. I had so many things that needed to be overcome so I could believe that because I had believed the opposite for 50 or 60 years. But you know what? God said the good work he begins, he's going to finish it. And so he kept on. He kept on. I kept hearing the truth. I kept hearing the truth. And pretty soon I began to realize, oh, my gosh, this is what God has for me. This is not, and I'm not belittling this, this is not just about Jesus and his father. This is about Jesus and my father. This is about Jesus and my daddy. We're one. He really is living inside of me. He and I really are one. So just as Jesus and the Father are one, you and the Father are one also. Just as the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, you are in the Father and the Father is in you. Many, many, many years ago, there was a TV show that uh, it was called To Tell the Truth. Maybe there's a few people in here that might remember it. But three people would stand up and they would say, I am, let's say, John Smith. The next one would say, I am John Smith. And the third guy would say, I am John Smith. And you had a panel of celebrities, four people, that would ask these three people questions, and they would answer the questions. And de depending on how they answered and their mannerisms when they answered, they tried to guess which one was telling the truth. I think that's kind of what a lot of the church, unfortunately, is experiencing. I mean, they've got God the Father that was in the New Testament, and they have God the Father that's in the Old Testament. How do you divide that and have such a separation of the two? So what they're saying is, I don't really know the character of God. And to the extent that we're not hearing the truth, that is the extent that we do not know the character of God. And that means that we cannot have the kind of relationship that our daddy created for us to have. So he knew how important it was for us to know who he was and for us to be able to comprehend. The times when we are tempted the most to believe that God is not for us is when we're going through something wrong in our life. The voices come, they try to tell us whatever it is. I'm sure we all hear some things the same and we'll probably hear some things that aren't. Depending on what your background is, that uh, those voices will come and try to take something that it uh, sees in a weakness in you and try to play on it and use it. But what I have found in the last year is that when those voices are coming to me, there's a reason those voices and what they're saying is coming to me. And it's like God, I'm not saying God is the voice, but it's like God is using those voices to shine a light in my heart. There's a problem in your heart. There's a reason that that thought is coming to you. And God begins to show me and I get healed of that thing. Now, I think there are going to be some voices and words we're going to hear forever. The typical ones, you know, God isn't happy with you, whatever, whatever. But each of us have um, specific things that are uh, unique to ourselves. And I find that God uses that voice that comes and tells me a lie. If I'll go to God with it, I'll say, God, show me where the lie is. Boop doesn't always happen that quick. I told y'all about my 30, my 30 nights of crying. <laughs> um, but that God even uses the temptations that are thrown at us to help us so we can comprehend and see the light. The reason that we're being tempted is because there's something we're not seeing clearly. And so as we let him show us and we can see clearly, we go back to rest because we realize he's that good. Sometimes it takes a while for us to get to know Daddy. We have old beliefs that need to be removed. 
and sometimes we need a lot of persuading. I know I have. Do you remember your response the first time you heard that God never killed anybody? I know I had several places in the Bible. Nope, I know this, and I know this, and I know this. And I know he did, and I can prove it. And then somebody came along with the truth. And God had broken it all down for him. Thank you. <laughs> and he took those stories in the Bible that I was using to say God had killed somebody. And he took them and showed, it, showed me that God was bringing life. But when I was in darkness, I couldn't see it. So it takes hearing the truth and letting God say it over and over and over again. And for that particular lie, I had to hear a lot of the things that I had misunderstood in the Bible before I could say, okay, I'm ready to agree with that. God never has killed anybody. God never has killed anybody. I want to say that out loud. <laughs> How do I know? Well, now I know him. So I know his character. But what really got me, besides all the proof of the stories, is that God is only life and light. How could he give something that he doesn't have to give? And all of a sudden, everything began to agree and match up. And I began to understand. You know, it's very hard to cuddle with a person that you think kills people. It just really is. Even though that isn't the thing you think about most in your heart, it's down in there. And it's affecting how much you can trust God. Jesus knew all that. Our daddy knew all that. That's why he had Jesus come. So we could know the truth. So those things that try to stop us from getting close to him could be removed from us. So we could see him as he truly is. I remember when I found out that uh, God had never killed anybody. I think that's the first time. It's been several years now. But I really wanted to cuddle with God. I wanted to cuddle with him. It's like I was aware of all these years that I hadn't been able to cuddle with him. And so each lie that's removed from our hearts, it allows us to get closer and closer and closer. There was a man named Philip. <clears throat> in the Gospel of John that needed some convincing about who the Father was. And we're going to find that we're in that spot sometimes too. If you had, this is John 14, verses 7 through 9. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. That's Jesus talking. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And it suffices us. He just says, here I am. I'm the father. And Philip is saying, just show us. Show us where he is. Jesus said to him, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? How is it that he's right here? Well, I want to ask you, how is it that he's been right there in your life all the time? And you didn't realize it. How is that possible? So sometimes, just like Philip, we have to be persuaded and realize that he is there all the time, all the time. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Oh, that helped me so much. When I look at Jesus, I am seeing the Father. That's exactly how I know who he is. Many of our thoughts and opinions about God are formed when we're little bitty by what we hear, what we see, and what we're taught. And then we have thoughts about our daddy that how we think he should be. You know, lots of times we think we make a pretty good God. We think we know how things should be and what will make everything right. I'm so glad now that I'm not the one that's in charge. And I didn't make everything the way I wanted it to be because I realized, boy, I made a big mess. God knows. He knows everybody. He knows everything. And he says he's got it finished. 
he has it finished in his heart and his mind he has done everything and it's perfect and one day we're gonna agree with him we might not always at the moment but we will and um in closing i want to read this um greg posted it several months ago i don't know where you got it from but it stuck with me so much because it expresses how i felt for the majority of my christian life and i'm going to say and still do but not near as often am i tempted to think god I think you might have it wrong this time. <laughs> and you know, I think God wants us to have the freedom to be able to go to him and do that and say, I don't understand what you're doing and I don't like it. You know, that's good. Get it out. Get it out. Let's talk about it. So I had a lot of opinion, opinions about how I thought God should do things. I wanted him to answer all my prayers with a yes and quickly. I had taken a couple of scriptures and twisted them for my own desires. I didn't even realize all those years I was really asking for death. <laughs> I thought I was asking for life. But as I found out what death is, I was asking God to be a, a circus clown and just yours, 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 yours. yours. Kind of like, did you see that movie, Bruce Almighty? Bruce decides he's going to just say yes to everybody. And they all get, what, two cents from winning the lottery? Because he told everybody they won. That was my idea, was a good God is a God that says yes all the time. The way I wanted it to be a yes. So this was the post. I read it regularly. Wouldn't. <clears throat> wouldn't it be like you to be different than what we thought different than what we want but better it makes me want to cry thinking about all the years with God and what I wanted and how I was so sure that what I wanted was what I needed and how I even hated him for not giving me what I wanted because I knew what I wanted was what I needed I thank God that he loved me more than he loved himself. He loved my life more than he loved feeling good about himself for me liking him. Because everything that I thought I needed, everything that I thought I wanted was full of corruption and vain glory. It had no ability to give me life. And he loved me enough to let me be angry with him and nail him to a tree every day until I finally saw, I finally was able to comprehend. He was different than I thought, different than I wanted. And then I realized, but he's better. Lord, I don't want anything but eternal life. I don't want anything but your peace and love and joy. Everything I found I wanted is found in you. I became fully persuaded that all I really wanted was comfort and that if I actually felt comforted, I wouldn't want anything anymore. Everything I desired was from the place of not feeling comforted. And I thought these things will comfort me if I can just get them. But the comfort comes in knowing who he is and the price he was willing to pay to give us what we really needed and what we really wanted. When we thought what we wanted was something different and we thought what we really needed was something different. We really only wanted his life to be our life. It is only his life that will satisfy the desires in our hearts. And so, Father, we thank you that your heart for us is perfect. You are the one that knows what we need. And it's your good pleasure. You enjoy showing our hearts, opening up our eyes, helping us to be able to comprehend and to see that you are what we have desired all along. 
It hasn't been foolish things in this world that don't even bring more than a moment's pleasure, if that sometimes. But what you wanted to give us and you have and you're holding out to us all the time is eternal love, eternal joy, eternal peace, one that won't go away. It's always there with us. The world can't take it away, and the world surely can't get it. So we thank you for opening our eyes so we can comprehend and showing us the things that we truly desire in our hearts so we can find that we can rest in you, we can find out who you are, and we can find out that you are perfect towards us. Amen. Amen. Amen.